Hey everybody, good to see you all tonight. Welcome. Now let's now, you know, the Word of God uh, is flawless. So if you'll turn with me to page 977 in your Bibles, there are pew Bibles that are provided for us by, by DPC, as well as their wonderful hospitality. But we're going to be looking at a very brief verse. I mean, you don't even have to go to it to, to, to comprehend it and hear it clearly. And that is, um, that is chapter 2, verse 18. And you can see why it was so easy to put chapter 2, verse 8 instead. But chapter 2, verse 18. Let's read this together. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I, I always have this happen when I'm going to speak. I'll have people here that, I, that aren't following through the argument, not following through the, uh, the process of my thinking or the scripture's thinking. So, um, so if you get a little lost, just start reading the text around this little verse, this tiny little cozy verse we're going to look at tonight. Read around and abroad in that text, and it might help you understand who's the we that's being talked about and things like that. But when I, I want to talk about prayer tonight. And I, I, I've often wondered, what's your attitude about a sermon? Like, what, what's your, what, what do you think a sermon's for? Like, what, what, what's a proper response to preaching? I, I've always thought a proper response to preaching would be, you all falling on your knees before God and praising Him and, and weeping for your sins, something like that. Maybe, maybe that's a proper response. But uh, that's not the usual response. Now, sometimes I preach for a decision. Sometimes I'll I'll, I'll get excited and I'll push. I, I want you to make a decision for Christ. I want you to choose God or choose some path that is related to faith. And, I, and I'll unapologetically call you to do that. But you know what? I'm going to teach about prayer. What I kept thinking was the only proper way to engage in this message is to pray. It's to pray, Lord, teach us and aren't you remind, I'm reminded right away of that, of, that, of that wonderful, disarming moment when the disciples come to Jesus. Now, now, I don't understand why they ask the question, honestly, because doesn't everybody kind of intuitively have some idea of how to pray? I mean, people do it publicly. People do it in every religion and every faith tradition. And, and, and I've heard some people, people can wax eloquent in prayer and go praying for long periods of time. Even baby Christians can. Maple non-Christians can. Lord, teach us to pray. I suspect that what they were really asking was something much deeper. I think they were witnessing, they had seen something. They were watching him. They were watching the pattern of his life, how he rose up so early, how he went to bed late, how he, how he sought out lonely secret places just to speak to God. And I think when they were asking teach us to pray, they were asking deeper questions than merely what are the words we're supposed to say or, or what kind of, it was more than that. It was more like, how do we really do this work? How does this work take shape in our lives? And, and it's a deep question if we begin to really ask it. And I don't think there's anybody we really can ask it of other than our Heavenly Father. So while I'm talking, while I'm prattling on, while I'm talking about the words, I want you to be praying in your heart, Lord, teach me. Just be praying that the whole time. Teach me how to pray. Teach Chris how to teach our whole church. Teach us as a community how to pray. And I, 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 
I, I, I'm hoping that that attitude, that that, that that attitude of the heart, of the soul before God, that humble, humble attitude that does not assume it knows anything about how to approach a holy God, I'm hoping that that attitude will, yeah, it will invade our hearts. It will, it will, it will, it will warm us in our worship. It will change us into a people of prayer. I feel like I live in an age, I live in a generation, I live in a time of a great prayerlessness. And I cannot, for the life of me, reckon it. Can't really suss it out all the time. Can't really think, it's almost like a spirit of prayerlessness is on the church. It's, it's hard to get people motivated. It's hard to generate interest. It's often hard to get people to show up. It's, and it's hard to even in my own practice to sustain interest, to sustain myself. I'll find, I'll find my own heart flagging and, and tiring and, and, and getting bored or wondering if there's not something better or more, more important that I could be doing in that moment when I'm talking to the air. I'm praying. I want to search, I want to, I want to wrestle with that a little bit, but before we go into the wrestling with, 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 this, with this age or what's going on in our hearts, I, I wanted to begin with just, a, just this teach us to pray attitude as we now look at this little sentence, this little sentence before us. This little sentence before us, through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And I love whenever we're in, whenever we're in Paul, whenever we're in Paul's writing, Paul is abundant with prepositions. <laughs> he loves to use prepositions. And, it, and here they are tumbling all out. Through him, by the Spirit, to the Father. Through, by, and to. You know, we hear Paul talk like this. Of and through him and to him are all things. And there's this exalted sense, and I think it's kind of funny, don't you? That somehow we have a clearer picture of eternal glory and how we relate to it through simple prepositions. Isn't that funny? Like, why, why would that work? <laughs> why would prepositions be the way that, why would locative reference points for where things are positionally in the world make any difference when it comes to knowing an eternal God? I don't know, there's something, there's something juicy right there. There's something juicy about God becoming flesh. There's something juicy and rich, it seems like unplowed ground in our hearts, that somehow in the simplest words, in, of, through, by, to, are captured some of the deepest mysteries, some of the most wonderful invitations of a loving God just to people, to us, to be with him, to be of him, to, be, to work through him, to, to do things by him and do things to him. <laughs> It, it, it somehow takes all that ethereal, eternal, hard-to-reach glory, and it puts it right here. Sandwich it. Puts it right here. As if, as if, it's, like, it, it, as if it's that immediate. Can't you hear Jesus' words here? The kingdom of God is near you. It's, it's the same sort of thinking, right? It's this idea that it's if we could prepositionally locate God right here, right now, if we had the faith, the wisdom, the eyes to do it. There's something about an invitation to know eternal, an eternal God through a set of prepositions. I always call these use of prepositions the prepositions of glory. And they usher us into the majesty of God. They usher us into the possibility of his presence. They declare to us, he's real. He's real. Have you located yourself in God? Have you located your, who you are in these reference points that are being spilled out? 
Well, in this particular text, those prepositions get even better. Now, I, I quoted actually Romans 11 there. You noticed it was, for of him and through him and to him are all things. And boy, this language, of, through, and to. Here in this text, it's not him. It doesn't just to him. It's through him, and it's referring to Jesus. And it says, by the Spirit, by one Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit. And it says, to the Father, which is obviously describing to God the Father. And in fact, in these sets of prepositions, it's not merely that of him, through him, and to him kind of totality. It's not just summing up existence. Now, it is plotting Gina, it is plotting Carol and Ted in a set of relationships from eternity. Father, Son, Spirit. And you know what I was amazed by? What I never understood until I was actually studying this text? The kind of prayer that he's talking about is literally done in and through and by all of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Going back to the prepositional stuff, he, well, just, just imagine this. There are many things we're called to do as Christians. We're, we get up here and worship as we're led so beautifully by Joyce. There are things we can go. We can go out to share the gospel. We can go to do good works. We, there's only different practices. There's reading your scripture and things like that. But nowhere is, there, is there's this idea that's being presented to you right here in this simple verse. Such majesty, such entrance, such beauty. As if God is saying, right in this moment, the one place I am with you, the one place I am with you, is when you're on your knees praying. All of me is with you. <laughs> We're going to God the Father. How are we going there? Through God the Son. And who's, who's tying it together? Who's wrapping us in God the Son? Who's equipping it all? By the Holy Spirit. And I, to me, to me, you know, all right, let me confess something. And, and you can walk in, you can walk, walk with me in this confession. Is, is, is I, I feel so humbled. I feel like I wonder how much I've ever understood about prayer. Because <laughs> I never got that. I never got that so clearly, so vividly. The moment, because you see the Trinity to me as a concept can seem kind of abstract, right? It seems to recede from intellectual analysis and how can three be one, how can one be three? And, and we, we get caught up in different kinds of technical language, God being one, three persons, but one God. And, and, we, and we've, we've adopted all these ways of talking about it. And here, right as we're talking about it, in abstraction, Jesus, God, Paul's saying here in this text, you on your knees are there before the Father through Jesus by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Holy cow. Did you warrant? Did you expect? Did you, do you treat your time of prayer like that? Do we, you know, like do we were, are we reckoned with, we reckon with or, or, or even imagine or, or conceive of the sanctity of the place of prayer now? I'm like, oh my goodness. I, we're walking Trinitarian eternal truths. As we speak to God. And that's the only way it can work. <sighs> Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, you see why he's going to have to be the one to teach us? This first, this first thought that all of God for all of us and the whole engagement of the Trinity and its economy and its work and its labor in, the re in real time is when Chris is praying, when Joyce is praying. Whew. 
you know, woe to us in our neglect of our hour, of our room, of our place, of our time of prayer. But you know, it's... <laughs> we're going to talk about this a little bit. But you know, there's plenty of times, uh, there's more times in the Bible that God promises not to hear prayer than there are the times he promises to hear prayer. Did you know that? God commits himself to not hearing prayer more often than he commits to hearing it. And he, and he waxes very eloquent about this. I, I, am, I am tired of your solemn assemblies. I am weary of your prayers. I am, oh, goodness gracious, can you imagine? For God to be tired of them, they must have been a pretty religious bunch. But none of that meant what? None of that meant this Trinitarian place we're talking about here. None of them were this. Not this. So I, I, it, there are things that prevent us, prevent prayer from being effective, I think. And, I, and it's right here. And I, and I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this because I think this is the, the mirror of, the, of this teaching. This teaching is teaching the wholeness of God for Corey. In every moment of prayer, all of the Trinity is involved in Corey's most simple prayer. It just was as he prayed up front. But we, have, we both have access. Now, this, is, this happens to be written to Jews and Gentiles who together were forming a new church which had all these cultural tensions and all these spiritual tensions in the community, right? And they weren't experiencing unity. But you know, it says, by one spirit. It's not talking about their spirit together. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. But the word one's there. And if you remember from before, the word one has been used four times in this text already. Unity. The unity in our oneness is somehow an essential part of living prayer. See, just as God is one, is involved in all of your prayer life, our prayer life together as one is one of them, is the most valuable, spirit-filled, anointed place that we can be. We both, it's a shared, did you get the shared notion of it? We both have access. We have access together. And, and it seems to me, right on the face of it, right, right out the gate, that, that, that one of the reasons perhaps we don't have prayer, we, we are such a prayerless people at times, is we, don't, we, we have a superficial unity. We don't have a profound spiritual one. And I'll go even further, I doubt we ever will have one if we don't become a praying people together. This text is inviting us into the glories of God, the glories of his personhood from eternity. He himself is unity in community. And he wants, that's what he wants to see here. That's what he wants to see in us. That is what he came to perform in us. That is the prayers of Jesus, isn't it? And it's the prayers of the Son. And you know, it's funny, as I'm reading this beautiful Trinitarian invitation to all of God, all that he is in Trinity, I can hear why the Son in that final prayer lets us in, lets us into the, to the rumblings of his heart. And what are the rumblings of his heart? Oh, I just wish that Corey and Chris were one. The way we're, I wish that you, I wish my people were one. The way that he is one, and I just, I don't know, something, something in my heart burns with a, a joy that this is possible. It might be possible with us. Are you praying it? Lord, teach us to pray. Are you praying that in your heart? Are you praying it for other people in the room? Do you mean it? Lord, teach us to pray. Show us. Let us learn the lesson deep. 
Do what it takes to teach your children what it is to pray. Maybe what God has to do is make us desperate enough for prayer, right? That's what he does to me. When God really wants prayer, he just makes me more desperate. But here's my problem with this. What do we do with the spirit of this age? This, this, this like, I, I can feel it. I feel it all the time. I felt it since the very first time I was in ministry. We, I'm in the ministry for over 30 years. I remember the first time I had a prayer meeting and one person showed up. And I, and I expected it. I expected it was going to happen, which is terrible, right? But that's exactly what happens, what I expected. And well, what is this? Uh, I admit I was deeply envious um, when I went to uh, London to go to All Souls. And I was at All Souls, which is a very famous church in London. And uh, I think John Stott, was John Stott there? John Stott pastored there for many, many years. And I met one of the elders. And he said, you know, I wish you could have gotten here early, earlier. Because then you could have seen, you could have seen where, all, where all this ministry really happens. What do you mean? So, well, I'll, let me show you. He showed me the hall downstairs where every Sunday hundreds of people were praying for the work of God in London. I mean, it made me mad, honestly. I was kind of like, well, I don't have that. That's not fair. Sorry, Father, I didn't mean to kick the pew. Um, that's not fair. Is that fair? What's go- what is this? What's got such a deep grip on our hearts in this generation? Okay, I want to talk about this candidly because I know about the lack of prayer in this room and I know about the lack of prayer in my own heart at times. I'm a, we have any illusions about this, right? Where's this coming from? You know, there's two ways you could look at it. You can say, figure out where it's coming from. Then you can even ask yourself, is the prayerlessness a judgment on us for some reason? I don't know. I wonder. I get scared. I get frightened of these questions. But I have, I have one thing I want to address with you that I think gets down to some of the raw root, the existential root of this question. And that is, I think, one of the reasons that God has allowed a deep prayerlessness amongst his people is this. We are a demanding people. And our demandingness is our arrogance and our pride. And it fills our prayers. I think it's one of the greatest problems of this age from microwave popcorn to, uh, to uh, uh, the ease by which I can order anything on Amazon, almost anything under the sun I can have in less than 10 days. Almost anything, right? It's amazing. I, the convenience. Now, of course, same-day delivery. Isn't that amazing? The same day, if you get up early enough to do your shopping, you can get that little prize you wanted by the end of the day. That's great living in San Francisco. Yeah, from, you know, from instant coffee to microwave popcorn to Amazon delivery, I think we have the same problem. We have a problem with God when he doesn't do things. Come on. Where are you? I've been praying for days about this. Maybe some of you are being bold. I've been praying for weeks about this. Maybe some of you are being more bold. I've been praying for years about this. Talk to some of the gray-haired people in the room and ask them how long they've been praying for things. You want to get some scale and get some perspective. But this age is so and when we come to the Holy God, to the Holy Trinity, with demandingness in our souls, demandingness about our lives, about what's happened in the church. And let me say, as your pastor, this is a sin of mine, is a certain demanding spirit. Why don't I have X? Why don't I have a bigger work? Or why don't I have this? Where's my success in this world? Or what? Aren't you going to honor that I'm preaching and praying? What, where is, and ooh, the minute that starts coming out of your heart, you know you just told on yourself. You know that. 
I just told on myself, didn't I? And we're always telling on ourselves. There's, a, there's an impatience and an urgency and a frustration that God is not more Johnny on the spot. And I, I think it's shameful. We should be ashamed of ourselves. The way we have beckoned, with, beckoned for God like a, like a servant and wondered why he's taking so long. I think our Father resists such a spirit in us. How do we get around it, though? How do we, how do we get through this? And I think that one of the ways we, ha- we can do it, we begin to experience, some of us have begun to experience this in our own prayer lives, and we experience it when we're singing that song, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. And I remember years ago, one of my favorite people in the world's name is John. I pray for him all the time to become a believer. And he helped raise me as a child. And uh, mom and dad, I remember when mom and dad shared the gospel with him. For the first time, he, he was Jewish. He was very angry at them about wanting to become a Christian. And, and he was gay, and he didn't want their judgment on that. And he felt like there was all sorts of complicated things. And he was at the wedding. He, you guys, I don't think you guys met him. So I love John so much. One of the things he said to him, I can't, you know I can't stand about you Christians? Every time something good happens, you say, oh, God answered prayer. And then it's like you celebrated it and as if that, that's always, and that, but what about all the bad stuff? What do you say about that? What do you all say when the bad stuff happens? Well, I was a younger believer at the time, and I remember being really kind of frustrated by that question, like, oh, I'm sure I have an answer for that somewhere, a theological answer. I don't know that I do have an answer to that, by the way. Other than that, if we take the lead of the scriptures, if we take the lead of our Savior, we bless God for the no's as much as for the yeses. And we praise him anyway. I think that's the difference in attitude that's no longer demanding. Are we truly... You can test me with this. Chris, are you blessing God when only 20 people show up for worship? Are you blessing him still? Are you blessing him for that? That he gave me the privilege to get up here and talk about Jesus? He gave me that privilege? Me, of all people? Am I, gonna, am I celebrating? No, you see, I'm not. And that's what I'm being called to. And I find the answer here is really, and it's the same picture, you see? God the Father choosing from before eternity. Who will go for us? God the Son said, I'll go. I'll go for clay. I'll go. I'll go to the cross. Who will make this come together for us? The Spirit said, I'll do that. I will handle that. And the counsels of eternity, described in Ephesians 1, the counsels of an eternal purpose, engaged in that kind of conversation about us in order to to do what you see today. (laughs) And yeah, you better be blessing him when he says no to you. Because otherwise we're cheating him and we're, we're not living in real submission or joy that's being invited in this text. Are you willing to, so some of the best sermons, some of the best, best, some sermon, best um, songs ever written were written by men in tremendous suffering, writing those very kinds of words. Um, it is well with my soul is one of those examples. A man ruminating on the death of his whole family. It is well. Are you praying, Lord, teach us to pray? Because that is one lesson you need to ask him to teach you. 
how to praise him and thank him for your suffering and in your suffering. You say, Chris, I'm not ready to do that. Then just pray, Lord, teach me to pray. He can take it the next step, right? He can take you there. But do you see how this is the only buttress against a prayerless, demanding heart? It's to truly praise him. That's good beyond all measure. As good as the size of the universe. And we know the universe is massive now. And his goodness is greater. Praise him. Praise him with highest praise. Ha! All right, so I get excited about this. And I, I look, you know, my, some of you know I like to work on cars. And although you wouldn't know it by how long my car's been sitting in my garage without, the, without, a, without a transmission in it. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. Trust me. And... Uh, but you know, there's, uh, 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 cars are very simple machines, and they need three things to work. They need fuel, air, and spark. Fuel, air, and spark. The fuel is metered. It's metered in to come just the amount of time out, and, and it increases in amount as, as, as you put down the pedals. You ask for more delivery of more seed, speed. And as it increases, it has to create, create a, a fuel-air mixture. I think it's 17 to 1. 17 to 1. And then... As it compresses, you have to have the spark hit right at the right. And this is called timing, isn't it, car? And the timing hits just right, and boom, there's, there's ignition. And, man, there's something about this Holy Spirit. Through, think about this Trinitarian uh, formula being presented here. Through the, through the Son, to the Father, by the Spirit. I feel it. I feel it. It sense it's almost like this fuel, air, fire, ignition. Fuel, air, fire, ignition. And that's, this is a description of the Almighty Himself. He's the Maker. Have you guys ever seen the Pillars of Creation? Uh, uh, the picture taken by the JWST or the, or the Hubble Space Scope? There are these hundred thousand of light years tall pillars of gas that are forming new stars. Ah! He made that. The great Maker made that. And He's engaged when I'm on my knees. When we're going to go pray to Him, He's engaged. Like, like that mixture of ignition to bring his kingdom to <laughs> I'm just, what? Where's the, are you praying yet? Lord, teach us to pray. Are you praying yet? Let's go on to some practical things that perhaps this text will encourage us in and we can leave here with some, some plans perhaps that these prepositions will have something to do with our life tomorrow. Let's talk about what does it look like in the real world. Well, Lord, teach us to pray how first. How, Lord, teach us to pray how through Jesus. Let's begin where it begins. Lord, teach us how to pray through Jesus. What is this? This prayer through Jesus? Well, this is where we cash in on the beauty of the words of the New Testament about our salvation. Because they're not just generic words. They're not just happy words. They're not just celebration words. They're not a word salad. No, they have meaning. And one of the best of all those words is this word, justification. To be justified. This idea of being cleared of sin and guilt and then having God's holiness applied to you as an outright fact. Just done. And credit to your account. Irrespective of what you've done, justify. Justification. What do we stand? How do we go? How do we begin this work of prayer? How, through him. 
through our standing in Jesus Christ, we stand upon true and complete and utter forgiveness. No, it's not, it's not a sentimental thing. This isn't a, something you need to feel. This isn't a, has anything to do with that. Uh, and I think that's a great invitation for us to begin. We need to begin in a very objective place. How do we get to the Father? Through the blood of the Son. Praise Him. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sang it tonight. Nothing's going to get you there but the blood of Jesus. That's how we approach. This, this initial foray, right out the gate, even Christ tells us, what does He say? Whatever you ask in my name. Now, sometimes people will say, well, so Chris, you, I hear you often pray in Jesus' name. Are, do we have to do that to have real prayer? No, that's silly. That's silly, isn't it? When did it ever become a mechanical thing? But I still pray it all the time because Jesus told me to, and I'm not smarter than Jesus. Are you? I just don't do it. I don't do anything he's not going to do. If he told me to pray in his name, that's what I'm doing all the time. Even when we do the prayer here in our worship, we do the Lord's Prayer. Jesus did not end the Lord's Prayer in Jesus' name. <laughs> he didn't do that. He later, it's later in John he teaches us to pray in his name. And I insert it all the time, even though Jesus didn't insert it there because he said it. And that's good enough for me. In other words, don't condemn other people if they don't use a formula. But I would encourage you, use a formula. Because you're a forgetful bunch of people. And if you're like me, and the formulas are anchors, right? They're anchors again and again. And what's this anchor in Jesus' name again and again? I'm standing on the blood. I'm standing on the blood. I'm standing on the blood, not on my own merit. I'm standing on the blood. I am not standing on my goodness anymore. Praise him through Christ. That's, Lord, teach us to pray through Christ. <laughs> it's the first way to teach us to pray. Praise him when he teaches us this. This, uh, this, this wonderful place, you know, it's, um, Spurgeon was fa uh, fa famous for saying this, and I think this is dynamite. I, I take this home and do it. I'm serious about this. He said, he said when I pray, I don't make any, business, I don't make any, any fuss about it. <laughs> I walk in like I'm walking into a bank teller and slapping my check on the counter and asking, asking for my, my withdrawal. Now, why would Spurgeon talk like that? Because he's talking about justification. You see, the idea that there's a secured line of credit for you <laughs> that, never, that never exhausts in the love of God. That because of Jesus and his blood, there's a secure line of credit all the time. And every check and every request we've ever answered is written in his blood. That's how we present it. Not because of our own merits. What does this invite us to do? Where does, where does prayer begin for the Christian? Why do we, why do we kneel? Why, I, I kneel. I try to kneel all the time when I pray. I find this one posture that makes the most sense for a scumbag like me. I should be on my face in front of a holy God. I'm afraid to do it any other way. <laughs> it just it spooks me out. And you say, well, that sounds superstitious. I don't care. I like to get on my face in front of God because when we say that we're coming through Jesus, we're saying we're sinners who needed, to be, who, need, who needed the blood. We're saying that we were not worthy on our own account to get there. There's one naive and weird thing in this generation is every single person you ever meet on the street will tell you that they think they can go to God anytime they want. That is not biblical. It simply isn't biblical. Jesus made it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. That's including prayer. No one comes to the Father except by me. So it is. Have you humbled your heart to know God? Have you humbled your heart to say you're a sinner in need of an abundant grace so you can stand before a holy God and actually open your mouth? <laughs> right? 
Because let's face it, that's a scary place to be. But we can be there because that's how we begin, through Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray through your Son. Well, let's go on then. Lord, teach us to pray to the Father. Lord, teach us that. Teach us what that is. What is happening here? I, to the Father. There's no, there's no intermediary. There's, there's nothing between you and the whole Trinity in this text. Nothing. <laughs> and that prosagago on this uh, access word, it's, 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 it's the religious word. You know, it's, it's funny. Look around you. See the architecture in here? This architecture is kind of nice. I want you to notice something. This is not ancient architecture for the people of God. In fact, this architecture is all wrong. What was the temple like? What was the temple like? You couldn't come back here. And in many, in many, church, many, many churches from the Middle Ages observed those, 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 those barriers as well. You can see them in their architecture. There's a chancel, a, a place back here. And then there's another place here. And there's another place up here. And there's a little place up here. And then all you sinners back here, right? You're sitting where you're supposed to sit kind of thing. I get it. That is not a picture of what this text is saying. There's another thing that's happened. Many of us feel weak. Or, and, we, and the idea that maybe, maybe, look, you know, my, my mom is in heaven. Maybe mom will help me pray. Maybe she'll pray with me. And, and this idea of engaging our ancestors or gauging long-head saints to be a part of it, it simply doesn't exist here. It's immediate to the Father. Maybe we're not doing that, but I'll tell you one thing we do get caught up in. Every one of us gets into this. We get caught into this preparationism. I need to prepare to meet God. I need to be a better person. Once I'm a better person, I'll talk to God more. I'm going to start my prayer life more when I'm a little more holy. When I, oh, that's the death of prayer. That's the death of hope. (laughs) You're never going to be ready. Hear the promise. Through the Son, you're directly to the Father. And walk there, walk there like a child. <laughs> I uh, remember one time, um, you know, um, lawyers love to build offices to intimidate you. You know, with the wood colors and all the books and the whole thing screams, we've got money, we've got knowledge, and you don't. We have the power, and you don't. Yeah. And I was in there, I was doing a closing or something. Where's Ian? Where's Ian? We had wandered off. I wasn't too worried. I mean, where could he go? We're in a big legal law office in downtown Atlanta on the 13th floor, 14th floor, looking around for Where's Ian? I, oh, and then I see him. He's in the biggest office on the corner office of the corner, one of the partners, and he's in their office playing with toys. And I'm mortified. You know, I'm like, I've run down there to get him out of that office. And but then I remembered something, something very beautiful about children, right? They're not observers of niceties like that. That doesn't matter to him. When it didn't even occur to him, right? He, he was here, and he's with his dad. He can go there, and he didn't think about it. And I, don't you want that with our Father? I think, I think God is inviting us in this, in this kind of immediacy, in this kind of beauty. He's inviting us to that. Hey, don't, 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 don't dally. Don't wait till you're better. Don't, 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 no, 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 come on in. Oh, don't be intimidated. I know I'm a holy God. That's why my son died for sinners. And my son's amazing. He qualifies you. Can you imagine we're allowed to walk around the throne room of the eternal God like little children and just ask for stuff? That's wild! And it's true. I want you to hear something else here. 
Through him, we have access to the Father. Um, God does not hear the prayers of non-believers. I don't think he does. I think the scriptures teach this. He will hear a prayer to know him, though. It's the only prayer we'll hear from a non-believer, is to know him, to be known by him. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't at times and places in his good nature and his good love sometimes answer prayers, but he's under no obligation to do so. Not by his own terms. You have access to the Father. Assuming they don't and don't care, why aren't you praying for them all the time? I, you know, my mom taught me years ago, and I always thought it was kind of corny. She'd hear an ambulance, and she'd go, oh, we need to pray for that person right now. We need to stop and pray. I was always like rolling my eyes, like, oh, come on, mom. Like, are you super spiritual? Or what? what's the thing? You know, like, and now I'm older, <laughs> and I, I crave to have that attitude in prayer all the time. I was walking the park, I was walking Parker today in the park, and um, I get in this weird place. I, try this with me sometime. Are you praying right now, Lord, teach, teach me to pray? Are you, are you praying that in your heart? Um, so I, I made it a project. I was going to pray for every single person I saw in the park today. So I'm riding around the park, and I'm like, I'll pray for those four people. I pray that they will be, have eternal life with me. I pray that, I'll pray for this. But, oh, I, well, yeah, I'll pray for them too. <laughs> you're, you're doing this inventory. And even as you're doing the inventory, some of you, there's a part of you that's being judgy. Like yeah, a little part of you is going, yeah, they don't really have a chance, but uh, I'm going to pray for them anyway. <laughs> You'd think things like that. You'd be silly in your mind. Talk about opening up this tight, dirty little heart with love. You know, like just like all the Holy Spirit working in me and wait. I learned something from my mom. I hope I never forget. And I kept thinking, are any of these people going to walk up to me in glory and go, thank you so much? <laughs> Do you know? Because you know in this age, we are such a minority that you will see and meet people every day who have nobody to pray for. That breaks my heart. I don't know why that bothers me so much. Maybe because I'm pretty sure I'm still alive because of the prayers of my mother and her praying over me and my foolishness when I was young. Lord, teach us to pray. Finally, teach us to pray through the Spirit, by the Spirit. Now, when I talk about prayer by the Spirit, somebody's going to be worried I'm talking about tongues. Now, I, I, I have found many times in my life where I have, been, I have not been able to pray an intelligible word. I don't really understand it. But one of the works of the Spirit will be a groaning in your heart that words cannot express. Praise Him. And there's this idea of by the Spirit. It just gets away. This is where the Trinity gets so mysterious. Paul says to pray by the Spirit because by the Spirit you cry out, Abba, Father. That's how you even claim God as Father. That's how you even know the Son. It's by the Spirit. Well, the work of the Holy Spirit, he says this really weird thing in Romans 8. The Spirit searches out the mind of God. I'm like, what? What does that mean? Somebody help me. How's this? But don't you see, everything God is in his eternity to a finite human like Ted or me, we can't hold all that, right? We can't hold all he is. But the Holy Spirit mediating those things and searching our hearts and our Father's heart. <gasps> Prayer in the Spirit. You should ask, Lord, teach me how to pray by the Spirit.
I remember I resisted for a long time having any kind of prayer. I, I, I prayed in tongues for a while. I prayed in tongues for most of my adult life. And I remember the first time it happened to me, I went to a charismatic friend of mine to ask him, what do I do? I don't understand why I keep trying to pray and these funny sounds keep coming out of my mouth. And he got really mad at me. And he, I remember he said, he goes, that's not fair. I've been praying to have the signs of the Holy Spirit my entire life, and he gives it to you, and you don't even believe in it? That just isn't fair. God's not fair. <laughs> and, I'm, and I've learned since then, you know, God's not fair. So I'm uh, done with that. I think you should pray for the subjective experience of the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. You should say, Lord, teach me to pray by the Spirit. I'm not scripting for you what that needs to look like, like there's some magic language. I don't believe in any of that. I know God, when God takes you over, you may see or say things that you never thought before. Praise him, right? What am I really talking about here? We're talking about God coming with renewing fire for his people. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst that brings it all together. It's by one spirit. He's the one that crafts a unity that draws us to the throne with joy. He is the crafter and the sealer of our souls. He is the one that works in the Holy, works in himself, works in the Son, and works us to the Father, gives us words to say and attitudes and perseverance in prayer we never had before. And before we know it, what is he doing? What's the Holy Spirit finally doing? What's his great work? It's new life. It's a new prayer life. It's a new, it's a new prayer life in you. And you. Can we pray for that together? Can we pray for that together for our church? Can we pray for that together for this generation? For this time? That we would see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our, on our flesh? Um, that's all I have to say I think let's pray oh dearest father I pray you teach us how to pray please forgive us for thinking prayer was like a certain tone or saying certain words or saying these and thous or something all these things we, we mess up and we're so foolish about. And we have to confess, we barely understand most of what I've been talking about. We just don't really have the experience to, to really talk about it that well. But, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us? There's a, there's a passage in your scripture that says that they will all be taught by God. That's something that we will experience. Father, Father, we come to you in your Son's name. Pour out the Spirit on us and teach us about our access and invite us into the access. Just draw us into the access that we have to you all the time. We pray for a new prayer life this week, if it would please you. Not as we will as you, but as you will. We will even bless your name if you don't make us a prayerful people. We'll thank you that you saved a prayerless people after all. But Father, is that all we're supposed to be content with? Were we supposed to say, oh, that's enough for us? 
I don't want, it's not enough for me. Father, we live in such a, a, a materialistic and, and ruthless and, and uh, uncaring age. And it thinks prayer is magical thinking. I know that's what people think. They think that we are fools uh, for talking to the air. Maybe it's therapeutic for us somehow in our weakness. Well, Father, I am ashamed of my lack of prayer. But I pray that those who, who reject you and your power and don't acknowledge it, that they would be ashamed. Because they see the prayers of your saints being answered. Thank you and I bless you and I praise you for this word. And I pray you'd seal it in our hearts this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.